Welcome to The Conversation. I'm Heil Russell, and no, this isn't a repeat. This is a new episode of The Conversation discussing a topic we have just recently discussed, but we're discussing it again. It's another Stop and Swap episode, and joining me to discuss Stop and Swap again for another discussion of Stop and Swap is Steve from Off of Rare Gamer. Yeah, three hours just, it wasn't enough, Isle. We need to keep going. <laughs> what I want to see, Steve, is a top five list on Rare Gamer of DK Vine's Stop and Swap Conversation episodes. So if we can just do three more after this, you'll be golden. I'm just hoping that we can reach that 24-hour mark and then just loop it forever. You know, just do it day <laughs> by day. <laughs> yeah, it, it is doable. Uh, believe it or not, like it, all, all we need to do is just fill this with inane chatter and go on some off topic rants. Or, you know, we could just talk about stop and swap. See, the problem what happened last time is that we we gave the complete like oral history of stop and swap as as we best understood it. Uh, and then two days later, it was immediately irrelevant because we got more information, spurred in part because of the episode we did. So it, there, there's no getting around it. It was going to happen, but it, it was just, as I said on Twitter, when uh, announcing that we were doing this episode, I feel like we are in a loop at this point. Um, we're going to get into all of that and everything we've learned about Stop and Swap since the last episode but first i just wanted to plug a few things just a few things so i I want i want to plug our patreon so e3 is coming up and dk vine will be giving our usual level of e3 coverage however e3 is virtual this year so we don't have to go out to los angeles which means i can save some money and put it towards things other than you know lodging, airfare, food, everything that's required for, you know, our our expeditions out to LA every June, minus last June. So uh, I I just wanted to plug DK Vine on Patreon. Uh, Your money will not be going towards airfare this year, and I, I can use it to improve our equipment our content creating machines and and hopefully uh produce better higher quality content uh, as we go on through 2021 but uh yeah e3 is coming i'm excited about it and if you're excited about it if you want exclusive coverage of the donkey kong universe of rare platonic whatever uh then DK Vine is the place to be. We won't talk about fucking AAA titles, your Call of Duties. No, not here. We're going to talk about what really matters, and that's Donkey Kong and his wacky friends. So uh, check us out, dkvine.com forward slash Patreon, uh, and, and 
your patronage is uh, is thanked. Um, also, be sure to follow DK Vine throughout the next month, month and a half. On social media, we are, of course, on Twitter and Facebook, which I run. Joe Mudd runs the Instagram page. Um, and I, I, I update the social media on a daily basis. So you're always going to get content coming into your feed about the DKU. Uh, the Facebook page recently just turned 10 years old. So that's a, a depressing barometer of time right there. But uh, yeah, check us out on social media. Be sure to give us a follow. And uh, yeah, also be sure to check out our Twitch channel, our YouTube channel. And after you're done checking out DKBiden.com, which is just our main website, be sure to check out Rare Gamer. Steve, talk to me about Rare Gamer. So Rare Gamer is, believe it or not, an even bigger waste of time than DK Vine is because it just documents oh, no. a lot wider of a spectrum of Rare's history. Yeah, it's www.raregamer.co.uk. Uh, if you visit our main site, you'll see all our news, our top fives, everything on the main page. But if you click on Rarer Archives, that little link on the side, we have a broken down version just to all of Rare's games they've made since the ultimate days. You got NES, NES, N64, just everything. You can view old interviews, music, uh, videos, just it goes forever. So get lost in there dive into the matrix like we're we're diving into the matrix with this stop and swap discussion you can find just everything there that i've you know dedicated my sad sad life to over the years <laughs> yeah so uh paul mack the architect of stop and swap made a joke about the matrix uh on twitter after i announced we were doing this and said we were stuck in a loop he said it was just like the matrix and then you did a photoshopped image of the the whole red pill, blue pill thing, only with uh, Morpheus holding the question mark eggs f- from, from the aforementioned stop and swap. And then I made the realization that, oh, my God, Neo contains the source code of the Matrix, and he's been unplugged from the Matrix, and he has to return to the source. Neo is stop and swap. He, like, the whole Matrix trilogy is hot swapping. Yeah, that's that's literally the only interpretation that you can grab from that series of film, by the way. <laughs> there's nothing Plato allegory of the cave. There's no screw that. It's all about Banjo Kazooie. An allegory for the, the trans experience. I, I realize the Matrix doesn't actually mean anything about stop and swap, but I'm just saying, if you wanted to add one more layer to it, then yes, it could you you could. Uh so I was just like, holy shit, Neo. Keanu Reeves is is basically a banjo kazooie cartridge. That's awesome. Uh, with googly with googly eyes. <laughs> uh, so this isn't going to be the complete history of Stop and Swap. Uh, if you want the history of Stop, we did that. That went live this past January. Go to theconversation.com or pull us up on iTunes or or YouTube or SoundCloud or however you listen to us. If you want the complete history of Stop and Swap, listen to that episode first. However, I feel like we need to do a quick summary of what Stop and Swap is, just, you know, to get people a helping hand. I don't want to be a bad host here, and I feel like Stop and Swap is a well-worn, well-known concept for those of us who live and breathe the rare life, but... If you're just scrolling into this, if you're a casual Donkey Kong fanatic and this is your first conversation episode, they're like, wait, why are you talking about Banjo-Kazooie? Why are you talking about Perfect Dark? Where's the Donkey Kong discussion? Steve, 
how does Stop and Swap relate? First of all, Banjo-Kazooie is a Donkey Kong spinoff. Don't come at me with that devilry. But, uh, Steve, how does Stop and Swap relate to everything? How is it the grand unifying theory of Rare's N64 era? Uh, what is it? All right, so let's let's squeeze three hours of discussion into like a little 30-second synopsis. So uh, Stop and Swap was something that Rare tried back in the late 90s with their video game Banjo-Kazooie, where you could take out a cartridge as it was playing, swap it with another one, and just by virtue of owning both, you could unlock rewards in either copy. So initially it was pitched as, oh, you can use this with Banjo-Kazooie and then use it with Banjo-Tooie, and those two games will communicate with each other. But then as time went on, we discovered, oh, they actually had this grand unifying plan, not only for the Banjo series, but to include Donkey Kong 64, and then to go on from there to pretty much their entire Rare library after 1998. Yes, essentially, yeah. So, and we, we talked about all of that on the last episode. Like, that that isn't really new knowledge, especially the fact that it was kind of unknown to the broader public. Everybody knows, or everybody who's played Banjo-Kazooie and Banjo-Tooie knows those games were supposed to connect and you were supposed to you know, originally swap data back and forth, like the ice key and the question mark eggs. But it's less known that Donkey Kong 64 was also going to be included in that. And then it's even lesser known that other games like Perfect Dark were, were being bandied about as being part of it. We just didn't realize how deep it went. So, two days. It was two days after the last episode where we discussed Stop and Swap went up. Paul Makachek, uh, who's still at Rare today, the architect of the Stop and Swap concept, I, I guess the episode spurred him to... to reveal more details like he had been wanting to do it for a while then he saw we did an episode about stop and swap and he said all right here's a seven part twitter thread about stop and swap and this sent us deeper into the well where it gets dirtier uh and and we got we got muck we got uh leeches hanging off of us bad rash uh but it, it included confirmation on their ideas for stop and swap you know deeper dives into how it would work and also we got an exact date and reason why stop and swap was killed dead so this is all very fascinating to me uh like off the top of your head steve what what did you gleam from that Paul Makachek revelatory Twitter chain uh, that that really took you back? I think just receiving the email itself, you know, like an internal document of, oh, here it is. And he just threw it out like he was just tweeting about lunch. You know what I mean? Like, that's the beauty of Twitter. Before, we would rely kind of on rareware or scribes to kind of get that inside look. And you'd be lucky if Lee, between this brilliant satire and humor that he's doing, he just kind of mentioned this, you know, fact about, oh, yeah, and here's what we did in Banjo. And you go, oh, my God, that's amazing. So to see an actual internal memo from Paul just being like, yeah, I was digging through the archives. Hey, you interested in this and just this holy grail of information like literally the rosetta stone to stop and swaps cancellation that's it just blew me away yeah you called it an email it looks like it's a fax and and i i l let me explain to you <laughs> young baby steve mccorkle what a fax is before emails faxes were were how uh 
corporations and very important people communicated documents from a long distance. Through the telephone line, they would be able to scan documents and, and send them across uh, far and wide, across the oceans even. And and uh, I've never used a fax machine, right? Because uh, why would I? But uh, I, I, I can recognize the, the stamp across the top, I think, as, as a fax. Uh, it definitely looks like a fax. You got those this lines on it that uh, you just don't see today. It made me nostalgic for like when my when my dad would have to fax something. And I don't even know why my dad had to fax anything. He he was a refrigeration repairman. Like he, he so why why are you faxing anything, Dad? Anyway, um, this fax is stamped October first, nineteen ninety nine, six twenty nine p.m. Somebody was there after five o'clock. You know, they weren't happy about this situation. <laughs> yeah, they were. They were not happy about this situation. They were. Uh, we, we can we look up what date? Like what day of the week? October first. I'm going to look it up right now because I'm curious exactly like when when they were when this happened. So let me look up a nineteen ninety nine calendar. Right. While you do that too, by the way, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna sneak in here. I'm not as such a baby as you presume me to be. I know about fax machines, <laughs> and that's because of Back to the Future Part Two, because that was still the way they communicated back and forth in that universe. So even though old yeah, Biff yeah, didn't he... get his way, you know, we still we still have that knowledge that uh, faxes should be used to fire McFly. You know. Yeah. Yeah. In in, in October 2015. Uh, they still use fax machines in Hill Valley, California. Uh, so yeah, October 1st, 1999 was a Friday. So not only was someone there after five o'clock trying to deal with this fire that Rare had set, but they were there on a Friday. Like they were not happy about this. Uh, it, it, TGIF, not for this anonymous director of technical support at Nintendo of America. So, Paul did uh, like sharpie out the the name under uh, that the letter was signed. I tried. I tried to do research into who this would have been, who the director of technical support at Nintendo of America was in October 1999. I came up with. <laughs> I, yeah, I came up with Bob because, well, look, as a Donkey Kong journalist, as the world's preeminent Donkey Kong journalist, given that I made up the decision and I'm the only one who carries the title, I had to find out. And I, I did probably two hours of digging on this and I, I came up with nothing. And I was like, you know, at the end of the day, I probably shouldn't dox this person <laughs> who, who was just doing their job. Like, I don't want to blame this anonymous director of technical support for killing Stop and Swap because they were just going along with what their bosses wanted. And granted, just following orders has usually not been a great defense throughout history. But in this case, I do get it. I do get it. It's just... You know, yeah, it's a shame. But being released so, on yeah, the this, same year as Office Space as well, I'd like to think that this technical director was kind of a Lumberg type anyway. So he kind of strolled uh -huh, over and went, yeah. you know, hey, what's happening? I'm going to have to ask you to go ahead and uh, cancel Stop and Swap. I think that's probably how, how it all went down initially. So this fax is, is from Nintendo of America addressed to Chris Stamper at Rare Limited. So, you know, they, they, this wasn't sent to Paul McInchick. This was sent right to, right to the, top. the head honcho. 
Yeah. We we always like knew Nintendo had a problem with stop and swap, right? Like this is something that Rare came up with and basically Banjo-Kazooie shipped announcing that it would connect to Banjo-Tooie in some fantastical way. They didn't get into hot swapping in Banjo-Kazooie. And in fact, the, the term stop and swap wasn't known at the, the time. So the general audience had no understanding of how this was going to work. A lot of us just, you know, being naive children who only knew what we had seen before, assumed it was going to be some sort of lock-on cartridge a la Sonic and Knuckles. Uh, you know, we, we didn't even, like, regard the fact that Nintendo wouldn't have invested that much capital into a special N64 cartridge for this one game, for this one experience. Uh, that That isn't Nintendo's style. Nintendo likes to waste their money in pointless peripherals and accessories for systems that maybe two games use, and then they just collect dust for the rest of the time. You want the company that had the foresight enough to, to have Virtual Boy being a thing as your leading principal. Hey, <laughs> Steve, I will not have you on my podcast and disparage the good name of the Virtual Boy. You apologize, sir. We are a pro-Virtual Boy family here at DK5. <laughs> Well, fine. I'll forgive you for that. But Wii U, we need to talk about. <laughs> uh, the Wii U had some good games. It was just shit branding. And also the game, the game pad was very hard to hold. Uh, I, I'm thinking more along the lines of, oh, I don't know, the DK Bongos, but not even the DK Bongos. Do you remember the GameCube mic? Do you remember that little microphone that you like had the like blow in? Do you remember the microphone? Yeah, yeah, I do. Yeah. Stuff like that. Like what? Even the Labo, like the, the the Labo, like really Nintendo, yeah, it, I guess it's a cool idea, but just because you can do it, should you have done it? Because now, like, the, the Labo is basically dead, and it's just like, well, that was good, I guess. I My point being, like, Nintendo hit gold early on with the, the light gun, the NES Zapper, and then they're just like, this is what we need to be for the rest of time. We need to develop toys that go along with our uh, with our consoles. And I, I say that as somebody who had the NES Power Pad. All right, so and I used the Power Pad. I would break that out every so often and be like, "Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna do this this track meet on my Nintendo Entertainment System." So just just to clarify here, you don't have an issue with uh, Virtual Boy at all. But so if if the Labo gave you headaches, would you would you like that more or? Well, the Virtual Boy didn't give me headaches because I took the automatic pause breaks as it recommended. I like the Virtual Boy because I felt like it was an immersive experience that really uh, boosted a certain aesthetic, specifically for sci-fi games set in space or fantasy games uh, set in a another realm and in a magical realm i i really really like a lot of the virtual boy games granted the, uh, there's only like a dozen of them and uh, and when i say i really like a lot of them probably only half of that but the potential steve the potential that the virtual boy had if only we had gotten a donkey kong game for it anyway so down the, the wrong rabbit hole with this one i think we need to find stop and swap it yeah well <laughs> we'll have a point counterpoint episode on the virtual boy if you want to come back for that but uh let let me read this letter verbatim okay so this is for context again october 1st 1999 
This would be 10 days before Jet Force Gemini was released. That Now, that was a game self-published by Rare. But remember, Nintendo also had a stake in Rare at this time. So even though something was self-published by Rare and ostensibly owned by Rare, it's like Nintendo still had some in- investment in that. Um, so 10 days before Jet Force Gemini was released... And also about a month and three weeks before Donkey Kong 64 was released. This letter is about Donkey Kong 64. And it's funny because you know Nintendo of Japan ha- like, had a hand in this letter too. They were freaking out probably. And they probably had to get Nintendo of America involved as their like middleman executioner here. All right. I am writing you regarding the stop and swap in Donkey Kong 64. While we respect the creativity of this feature, after testing and discussing this feature with the R&D3 and, oh, what is that? And the... Uji plant? Uji plant? Yeah, Uji. We must ask that you remove this feature from Donkey Kong 64. Nintendo has a number of issues with the way in which this feature has been implemented. And then we got three bullet points here. So, ooh. There is no way that we can guarantee that the RD RAM will retain data long enough in all current and future version of the N64 console for this feature to work. There is also a risk of damage to both the console and the game pack should the swap be made while power is still on. However unlikely, there is a chance that a consumer who has exchanged game packs with the power on will experience a latch-up condition in a chip which could cause overheating and potential consumer safety problems. So basically, your house will burn down because you you wanted to put the ice key in Donkey Kong 64. It's just a risk you have to uh, take. I, that, right. I mean, I, I would take that risk in a heartbeat. I would take that risk today. Yeah. I would do it one time and then come back to it the second time and just debate it a little bit and go, nah, the ice key's worth it. Let's try again. Yeah. In spite of the fact that these bonuses are not necessary to complete either game, we feel that it must work reliably on all N64 consoles. Given the limited time remaining in the schedule, we cannot thoroughly examine all of the potential conflicts and solutions. We would like to suggest that you find alternative method of achieving the bonuses in both Banjo and Donkey Kong. Perhaps it, perhaps it is, there are some typos in this, so if it sounds like I'm having a stroke. <laughs> Very frantically at Again. 629, you know, we get it. <laughs> yeah, this is, yeah, this is after f- six o'clock on a Friday. Tempers are probably, yeah. uh, you know, frayed at this point. Um, Perhaps it is would be possible to reveal passcode in DK64, which could be used to open the locked area in Banjo. Correspondingly, subsequent visits to the game pack in DK64 could produce the ice key by asking a player some question about their experience playing the new area in Banjo, such as, which item did you find with my special code in Banjo-Kazooie? Banana? Ice key? Golden note? etc. The balance of DK64, including the different ending, 
could then remain accessible only to those who played through the new area in Banjo. I believe a solution such as this will preserve some of the benefit of tying the two games together and have minimal impact to the code, testing, and ultimately the remaining schedule. After you've had a chance to confer with the team, please let us know how you'll resolve the issue and what, if any, impact it may have on the schedule. Lastly, should you wish to implement other such unique features in the future, please contact me directly so that we can completely research the ramifications when we have time and a schedule to allow us to be more flexible. Sincerely, Sharpie Blob, Director of Technical Support. Do you think maybe there was, there was an issue with time and the schedule at this point? I don't know if they made that too clear. You think Rare Playing with Fire with the biggest holiday release of Nintendo's 1999 year really like had people freaked out behind the scenes at all? Yeah, a little bit? Maybe. I mean, it's hinted. Because, <laughs> you know, you have, you have to keep in mind, too, like over at Rare, they were scrambling to get Donkey Kong 64 done. As, as I mentioned before on this podcast, it was all hands on deck. You know, they had, they had people like Chris Seaver working on Donkey Kong 64 in order to get it out the door. Uh, DK64 already had a pretty fraught development cycle and Nintendo was like relying on it. And it's not like they could just switch it out with Diddy Kong Racing 2 or whatever, you know, however they made Banjo Kazooie work, uh, you know, two years earlier. Wasn't going to work this time. Nintendo had nothing else. Rare had nothing else ready to go. They needed to get it out the door. And video game magazines at the time were also furious. Uh, Like the the older skewing video game magazines because Perfect Dark was delayed because they had to pull resources into DK64 to get it done. So Perfect Dark's development time was slowed down. And I remember it might have been EGM or GamePro or one of those magazines. They were really salty about how Duncan 64 was depriving them of their pseudo GoldenEye sequel. So uh, anyway, uh, yeah, the... So Rare was trying to get DK64 out the door. Nintendo was was counting on it. And meanwhile, about, you know, a month and three weeks before the game was set to be released, not shipped, right? Not not mass produced, released. Uh, Nintendo realizes they have uh, this potential like nuke sitting in, in all of the, you know, 2B cartridges that that could potentially cause all sorts of litigation and, and consumer problems. And first of all, I just want to say, in Rare's defense, I would have done the exact same thing. I I, I give them all the props in the world for not asking for permission about this and just doing it and hoping that. Once Nintendo sees the their ingenious vision that they will just get go on board with it, right? Like this is the kind of thing that you have to do to get anything done in the corporate world. Uh, this is why I bristle under authority. This is why I had to become a Donkey Kong journalist because I only worked well with myself. So <laughs> uh, now rewind a bit. 
you know, Nintendo knew they knew something was up when Banjo Kazooie was released, right? Because they they realized that the it was like constantly like scanning for what what was it again? It was something about like N- Nintendo caught on that the Banjo Kazooie cartridges were always scanning for um it was, is it RAM or I, I I don't know, but yeah, it was it was an address written in memory specifically for stop and swap. It's I think Paul said it was an eight byte integer that was just basically like refreshing every so often going stop and swap items no stop and swap items no and when it said yes it would you know change stuff in the game but it was searching for those eight digits and it couldn't find them obviously so it just it kept on almost like we're doing we're we're caught in a loop you know so it was doing that over and over again and they were kind of curious like what what is this doing here but apparently it didn't impact it enough for them to go hey this is you can't have this you got to go back to you know testing or whatever and, and fix it so they knew about it at that point that it was it was doing something peculiar but they let it ship anyway you know it wasn't impacting any of the the features out of the game yeah i think i think it like freaked nintendo out a little bit and and i I, I, I assume they told Rare, like, hey, if there's a feature, like, remove it. And they didn't. And uh, I, I don't know. But, uh, and they, they just pressed forward with the plans for it, uh, including this ambitious, like, six game, uh, unifying theory, as we called it, of, of Rare. And, um, the second game that it, well, maybe the second game that it would have utilized would have been Donkey Kong 64. And, and so, yeah, let me just say, like, right when, when Paul tweeted this fax, my jaw dropped because there's so much to, to surmise from this, not just the surface level. Hey, stop and swap is fucking canceled. Go home. Uh, but just like reading between the lines, the, especially the last paragraph where they say never do this again (laughs) (laughs) like i i was rolling on the floor nearly from laughter and also cringing it's like that that like office style humor where you're just it's like hilarious but you're all you also want to die inside because it's just so awkward I saved this fax immediately, and uh, I, I made sure, like, no, this this is a precious document. If, if Paul decides, hey, maybe I shouldn't have shared that, I too late. I've got it. <laughs> yeah, it's it's mine now because uh, this is this is this deserves to be in the inevitable Donkey Kong Universe Museum. Uh, granted, I don't have the original copy, but still, you know, uh, th- this is going to be one of those art forgeries that I hang on the wall. It's like, no, it's the original one. You you get the sense, too, that, like, by this point in the rare Nintendo partnership, like, Nintendo is just, like, not not getting exhausted, maybe, but it's definitely, like, getting a little bit exasperated that this major studio who is working so intimately with them was so far out of their purview that they were pulling stuff like this. <laughs> uh, like, because Nintendo does not operate in this capacity to the, like today, like even studios that are like Western studios removed from their traditional structure are much more tightly kept in, in their, uh, in their grasp. Like look at retro studios. Uh, R- retro is basically you know, overseen by somebody from Nintendo 
at, at all times. Um, Tanabe, you know, what was famously uh, like their their parental guardian sent from Nintendo. So much so that they bristled a little bit under his authority, um, allegedly. Uh, although they're now working together again under for Metroid Prime Four, but uh, you know, th- this whole situation with Rare hasn't been repeated since. And I, I have to wonder if situations like this played a part in it. And you know, I'm the biggest Rare fan. Uh, well, present company excluded, but you know, I. I, I am one of the biggest rare advocates to this day, as are you. And I, you know, I, I, I just have to kind of smirk because, yeah, this, this just seems about right. Like, especially rare of this era, you know, where they're a lot more buttoned up and they, they play by the rules today. But they were they were really the the troublemakers <laughs> Of the Nintendo family back then. It, it kind of has changed. It's a shift in, in game development and even, you know, other mediums that you do. You can look at Disney for a great example. It's There's a lot more quality control as the product's being made, you know. Like, the meetings back then for something like Banjo were probably high, you know. They'd probably be like 16 meetings that you'd have with Nintendo. But I imagine if it's made today, there'd probably be somewhere closer to like 300. Even tiny meetings that oh, don't course. have the core staff in it, you know. Just, just periphery stuff discussing it. Because you're trying to eliminate anything that could possibly go wrong, you know, so you don't have emails like this in the 11th hour going, hey, we need to remove a big part of the game a month before it's out. You know what I mean? Like, this is a, a perfect example of like, you know, an oh shit moment where, where somebody's leapt up and gone, this isn't going to work. We need to let them know. Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. You know, like, it's just, it shouldn't have gotten yeah. to this point kind of thing, but you, you can't fault Nintendo or Rare. Like, Rare is the geniuses that they are to put something like Stop and Swap together. It requires a lot of innovation, not a whole lot of legalese, you know what I mean? So that's where Nintendo <laughs> yeah. stepped in and said, okay, we're going to have to snuff this out because this this could cause a lot of problems. And unfortunately, at that stage, like it says, you know, Rare trying to come up with a, a, a solution to this outside of, of Stop and Swap was, you know, there wasn't enough time to properly do something like that. So in the end, they even though Nintendo did offer some possible solutions, and we can break those down in, in time of, you know, effectiveness, oh, yeah. but they, they decided, you know, hey, it's best that we just put this to rest because it's not the intended vision that we had. And Banjo's already, but it'll, it'll be the only game in our, you know, um, septillion series of, of these six unifying theory that's actually going to be prepped and ready for stop and swap. Yeah. Yeah. And, and like, like I said, I don't, I don't blame anybody in this situation. And I wasn't also actually making a one-to-one case that this is why Nintendo uh, is, is so regimented today. Obviously the industry has evolved. Obviously, you know, game development has evolved and th- thing there's a, there's a lot higher stakes a lot more capital being pumped into everything, uh, but it, it it is you you kind of sense the frustration here. It's like uh, the, this major Japanese gaming company is using their American uh, subsidiary subsidiary to uh, rein in this rogue UK studio. <laughs> like it's just this international game of oh shit, oh shit, oh shit. Uh, at the 11th hour. And I think the fact that this was on a Friday after five o'clock says a lot. Uh, so, because also, like, granted, maybe the timestamp is, no, it's, it's American dating. So, I don't know. I was going to say maybe it's only after 
like five o'clock in the UK, but no, it's American dating. So I, I would imagine this was like that, that would have put it on the Pacific coast. Uh, so eight hours difference here. So this would have been like after midnight, they got this fax. And so they might not have even seen it until like Monday. Uh, but anyway, I'm just speculating. Maybe they were working all weekend trying to get DK 64 done, but yeah, like there, there's a lot about DK 64, you know, that, that I critique, but I never felt like it was missing any, any core component like the ice key. Like they hid the evidence well. Yeah. It, it, it's when you play the game, assuming you're not like looking at code and, and trying to like suss out any, any stuff, stuff that was removed, you have no indication that the ice key was ever going to factor into DK64. Yeah. And, and so, like, they even removed the Banjo-Kazooie refrigerator freezer thing in Donkey Kong's treehouse. So, like, th- they didn't leave any trace. So, that's why this is, so, like, it's so mind-boggling for people to even accept that DK64 would have utilized the ice key because there's just nothing in the the actual game uh, as as presented officially to, to tip the hat to that. So uh, they, they did do a good job cleaning it up over that, you know, seven week period, less than seven weeks by the time, you know, the game had to be shipped and mass produced. But uh, the suggestions that Nintendo made to make it work, I, I sort of like them. I, I sort of like them. They're a little bit boring and they're a little bit... Uh, basic, but you know, I've I've all often said I wish uh, Rare would have come up with a more inventive solution in Banjo Tooie to pay off Stop and Swap. If you couldn't actually connect back to Banjo Kazooie, it's it felt very deflating the way they did it, almost like it was just an afterthought. But we know now that they had a year and some change to to come up with something because this. October 1st is when Stop and Swap effectively died. So, um, like, I, I always said it would have been nice to be able to, like, have those areas from Banjo-Kazooie at the very least recreated inside Tui. So you still get the thrill of going inside Shark Food Island or inside the Ice Key Chamber, uh, even if it's you're not actually inside Banjo-Kazooie when you do it. Uh, and that's just my fanboy, you know, wish list. I'm not saying like it would have been a practical thing. They did it probably the most practical way they could have done it, but it, it wasn't satisfying. And and at least the way Nintendo suggests these things, it could have been a little bit more satisfying. I I don't know. Um, it, it would have been neat to see DK64 use the ice key, but I think at this point they had only promised it for Banjo Tooie, so I can see why they just completely ignored these suggestions and said, "You know what? We're just not going to have have it even referenced in DK64." Yeah, the like the the passcode idea. So if they would have revealed passcode in DK64, like the the treasure, I guess the the sandcastle codes, right? Um, then you you still have the problem of well now you've got this the the items or the, at least the ice key in Banjo Kazooie but like then it 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 feels very much like a farce then because you've got it in Banjo Kazooie but then what do you do with it you can't do anything with it 
So I, I don't know. The, the problem, too, with, with using a passcode idea is that Stop and Swap are kind of made to, you know, contact this problem of how do we transfer items? I mean, you know, peripherally or not, but how do we use that so these, you know, secrets and cheats aren't spilled onto the Internet and people can just look them up? You know, they wanted a way that you yeah. could have it concrete and using a passcode completely defeats the purpose of that because now you've got the same problem of, well, why doesn't somebody just rush the internet and go Donkey Kong 64 ice key how to, and there's going to be a whole guide on the internet going, oh yeah, you talk to this character and you say that, oh, it's the special code here, or you just grab the code in full and just put that in Banjo-Kazooie. So it really defeats sure. the entire purpose. And especially with like... The idea that he had where you, you, you know, ask a player about their experience going, which item did you find with my special code in Banjo-Kazooie? I mean, that's clearly just going to be leaked online where they just go, hey, answer this question, you'll get it. And also, too, not even to mention the fact that, I mean, you pose that question to the player and let's say they get it wrong. Are they locked out of that now? Do they have a second try <laughs> at it? You know what I mean? Like, if you answer yeah. the wrong thing, you've locked your game, essentially. So you either have to yeah. delete your file or if you get a second try, they go, oh, we're not going to be unfair. Sure. Maybe you guess golden banana. You go, oh, that's wrong. Well, then what's the point of having that gate there anyway? Because then they can just guess again. So now it's just a guessing game. So I can see Rare looking at these suggestions going, nah, it's not going to work. That one's not going to work either. And they just had to face facts and go, look, stop and swap as we intended it is not going to be made. We don't like these compromise suggestions. Take it out of DK64. We'll see if maybe we can do something with Banjo-Tooie. And then because their hands were really tied on that promise, they said, look, we're not going to have stop and swap functional from Banjo-Kazooie to Banjo-Tooie. We are going to still offer the items. They're still going to offer bonuses. That idea is still intact. But the technical way that these two games are going to communicate with each other are not going to exist as we intended them. They're just, it's going to be a compromise. The players will still get their items. And people will forget about it in a year, so who cares? And then we kept it up for 20, and they went, you guys, get a life. Jesus, there's a world out there that you can experience and run through the grass and find love. And we're like, no, we're going to obsess over this mystery for 20 years after the Nintendo 64 is even relevant. So, you know, it's just yeah, it's how it works. It is. It is. And, and you know, I, like like I said, I was comparing it more to the way Stop and Swap was resolved in Banjo-Tooie originally. Uh, more so than it actually being like a really decent idea, because you're right, you know, especially with the, you know, Internet rising in prominence uh, and being in more and more households, the secret would have been out there. So it does defeat the purpose. And again, it just points to stop and swapping pretty much ahead of its time in the concept uh, it's basically just rare outpacing and outthinking the hardware and the limitations thereof, where now, you know, we deal with stop and swap level stuff all the time, as we brought up in the last episode. You know, Sea of, sea of Thieves has had basically stop and swap with the new Battletoads. Um, it's just not as mm -hmm. viscerally as exciting because it's just you play this, you unlock this. There's not that level of, oh, my God, I am interacting with this physical game cartridge. Donkey Kong and Banjo are like jumping over. It's what made Pokemon to me such a thrilling concept back in 1998. More thrilling than it seems now. And granted, we've lived with Pokemon for, you know, nearly like, well, over like 20 years, you know, nearing 25 years. But, um, you know, for me, like when, when everything's digital and, and digital devices just communicate with each other. Yeah, great. Like stuff like this is 
plausible and feasible and it happens all the time. But there is something amazing about getting to fight your Pokemon on one cartridge with your friend's cartridge or even trading it. It really felt magical. And that's what Stop and Swap was. And that's why it still entices us to this day, even though like we, we've had Stop and Swap in the XBLA versions even and Nuts and Bolts. You know, it, it's... The original concept is so magical because it feels like you're breaking the boundaries of reality itself. You're, you're like the digital world is crossing over with the physical world. And it really just felt like there were no boundaries. Um, that, that's why like it, it's this particular iteration of stop and swap is and will always be more enticing than anything we might see today. But, um, that being said, they they also mentioned the uh, the secret ending to Donkey Kong sixty four, and and so a lot like th- this is really what like got people's juices flowing. Apologies if that's gross. I don't even know. Uh, this is really what got people excited back when uh, Paul did this uh, tweet thread, uh, the, the seven parter on Twitter. Because uh, what do you mean a secret ending to Donkey Kong 64 that the Ice Key would have utilized? Thinking about it rationally, it, it probably means that audition sequence uh, where Cranky Kong uh, where Cranky auditions uh, characters for the Donkey Kong game on uh, the Dolphin, uh, aka the GameCube, which would ultimately be Donkey Kong Jungle Beat, which would mean that Cranky Kong basically rejected every audition and just decided to recast everyone sans donkey kong uh but i can't think of any other secret ending especially if there was only seven weeks between this fax and the release of the game surely that's the secret ending and the ice key would have just factored into the 101 percent uh completion score i i don't i don't know but I, I would imagine that, like, they just removed the ice key and then they lowered the threshold for how to get the secret ending to just things actually contained within DK64. That's my best guess. I was thinking briefly that maybe we would have gotten a stinger, like, Bottles the Mole shows up and, he, and you know, talks to Donkey Kong, says, you think you're the only platforming star in the world? Your universe just got bigger. <laughs> you know, just some something, you know, Nick Fury-esque, but probably we wouldn't have gotten any hard crossovers between the two franchises. It would have just been, you, you get the audition. Yeah. Yeah, I, they've really scored through the entire game. But the fact that, uh, you know, we can find such remnants that are still on the game, like that scene in the treehouse, like the uh, warp to Crystal Caves. I mean, that's still... As hard as it is to find, they have located that in the Ice Key text as well. So you would think that they would find uh, at least an empty value for a, a new scene, like a new cutscene at the end that, you know, would show off something. But I think you're probably right in that it was the audition scene um, that would have been there. And we could have had, you know, maybe Banjo show up during on a, the audition just to kind of tease it there. But once they took Stop and Swap out, they went, all right, let's 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 remove all reference. We'll just have it strictly a Donkey Kong 64 related family kind of thing. So, yeah, al- although if Banjo and Kazooie had shown up and they cut it I w- and I found out about it, I would <laughs> never forgive them. <laughs> Honestly, yeah, I... <laughs> Uh, I, I that that would hurt almost as much as losing Donkey Kong Racing still hurts to this day. So 
<laughs> well, the the other major point of discussion, this is all kind of dredged up, Steve. Oh, yeah. Is the six, the identity of the six. The I feel like this is Battlestar Galactica, and like, who are the six Cylons? Uh, but the, the six rare N64 games, because... Obviously, so Banjo-Kazooie is counted among the six. It isn't just like six games after Banjo-Kazooie. No, Banjo-Kazooie is the first game of the six. Banjo-Tooie obviously would have been, I guess, the final planned game of the six. Donkey Kong 64, we already knew. That makes it, that's the third one. After this, we, we knew about Perfect Dark. That was bandied about. Uh, we, we had, we had known about it because it just sounded weird, right? Because all of the, like, Donkey Kong interacting with Banjo makes sense from a couple standpoints, given that the, the close connection the two franchises share, even to the point where you can argue that Banjo is a Donkey Kong spinoff. Uh, they're, they're, they're forever related. So, of course, it would make sense for them to cross over. Perfect Dark's a little bit weirder because aside from being, you know, a rare game, there's not a lot of connection between the world of Joanna Dark and Banjo and Donkey Kong. Yeah, well, there's two but, things really uh, that, that separate it because, first of all, it looks like Stop and Swap was the kind of adventure. Um, Paul points out the adventure games, like the mascot platformers that they were making back in the day. That that would be the kind of focus on it. But not only that, Perfect Dark is rated M. So you're potentially cutting off a portion of your audience that won't be able to use Stop and Swap in that game um, because they're too young for it, obviously. So, you know, it is kind of the outlier where you go, okay, perfect dark. That's like, I like the fact that it's in there, but it is an interesting choice to go, okay, we're we're doing perfect dark in combination with Banjo and Donkey Kong. You know, it is the outlier. Yeah, no, I don't think Stop and Swap would have ever been an advertised feature. Like, you wouldn't, you wouldn't have seen, like... On the back of the perfect dark box, you know, you know, bring over the the beige question mark egg from Banjo Kazooie in, into Perfect Dark to to unlock. I, I I don't think any of the question mark eggs would have been utilized with like I I do we have, do we have any clarification on exactly what items would have been brought over um, or would have just been passing around the ice key. So it would have the ice key would have been the grand finale of the whole thing, where you'd you'd come back and you'd okay, be able okay. to use that in Banjo Kazooie. But the eggs were created um, so kind of vague. The fact they were just Easter eggs with question marks on them because it could fit with any of the games. You know what I mean? It, it's ah, okay. yeah. So that's that's the fact there. Um, in terms of what they would do, like which went to specific games, they never got that far, unfortunately, from, from what I was gathering from the interview with Paul. So like he said mm. specifically, you know, it's not like we had the blue stop and swap egg is going to go to this one and then the red's going to go to that one. Like they never got quite that far with it, but there's got to be some kind of design document, not, not to say which went to where, but like how the eggs would have been like utilized in the games and how you would have gone from one area to another, because there's got to be, especially with Donkey Kong 64, we can see the inkling of like, okay, we're going to set up this secret area that you're not going to be able to get to just like shark food Island, just like the desert door, just like the barrel. And by virtue of having stop and swap functional and working, you can go to these areas in the future and now, haha, it's unlocked and you can explore it, you know, and for a 3d platformer, especially like in that collectathon genre, you want to be able to explore being gated off and told, ah, no, not yet. Or you don't have permission. You're like, no, I, that's the whole point is I go everywhere here, you know? So it had that kind of intrigue to it, but yeah, they, they were vague on purpose enough to be like this will fit 
with any genre, with any rating, with any uh, game that we put it in, it'll feel like it's natural because it is a, a mystery egg. Now, when you say the uh, Ice Key was the grand finale, it was going to be used in the second game in the cycle with Donkey Kong 64. So how, how would it have been the grand finale? Um, I'm just trying to find here. I've got my, uh, my interview popped up with Paul. <laughs> yeah, let me, let me just see. Because I, I believe he, he mentioned that it was going to come full circle specifically with the Ice Key. Um, you know, and it could have been that the Ice Key was passed over to the six games, uh, being the only item that was truant. You know, like, because the other one, if you have a mystery egg, you assume, okay, let's say, for instance, uh, Banjo passes a yellow egg to Perfect Dark. Well, Perfect Dark now has that yellow egg, it gets the reward, and maybe passes it back. But the Ice Key could have been that item that gets passed from Donkey Kong 64, and then gradually to the other five games. And then once it has that value of, okay, it's been passed to Perfect Dark, it comes right back ah. again, and that's how you unlock it in, in Banjo-Kazooie. Wow, yeah, that... that. <laughs> so, so basically, yeah, you're right, you might have had to have gotten the M-rated Perfect Dark in order to build up your ice key to, to the point where it's now usable in Banjo-Tooie, uh, which, which would have upset uh, a, a few families out there, probably. Uh, but, all right, all right. So, we, we've got those four games locked down. It's the identity of the oh, last two. I, I just have the, the quote here, just, just for a second. Um, sure. Paul's talking about it. He goes, we had a picture of six games in our mind that could be linked. I suggested, wouldn't it be great if we could go full circle and if a player got all six and we sent triggers sequentially between them, then the last game could send a super code back to the first. That may have been why the Ice Key replaced an egg for Banjo-Kazooie. Ah, okay. Yeah. Well. <laughs> Sorry to derail second, it a little. <laughs> that's all right. Uh, well, the, the final two games, though, th this is where people can't seem to agree. Um, and And... I feel like Twelve Tales Conquer sixty four would have definitely been in that in that chain, right? Uh, especially when you look at well, Banjo and Donkey Kong Connect. So Conquer, obviously, the other big platformer they were working on at the time, already has a pre existing connection to Donkey Kong. Of course, it would be Conquer, uh, and I think that would make a lot of sense in this time frame that conquer would have been earmarked to use stop and swap um now paul said that jet force was going to be included he thought jet force he didn't say for sure yeah um and a lot of people are running with that the jet force gemini was going to be the sixth game my issue with that is that jet force gemini came out 10 days after this fax was sent from Nintendo to Rare, yeah. there would have not been any time to remove any stop and swap features in Jet Force Gemini, at least that initial wave of cartridges, because they would have already been manufactured. They would have already been on their way yeah. to, to release. So if Jet Force Gemini was the sixth game, or in this case, the second game, we would know because it there would be stop and swap functionality in the first, at least the first wave of releases, mm -hmm. right? That is true. Um, we haven't, Jet Force Gemini is kind of an overlooked game where we, we kind of, it's a hidden gem for the N64. So if there is, and it's hiding on there, like Cutting Room Floor has done this really great kind of deep dive into, into data mining for the game. But it's one yeah. of those games we don't have enough information, I think, to, you know, fully prove 100% that no, this, this 
does not have any stop and swap functionality because we're still finding stuff in DK64 and that game has been combed over, you know, for years. So I don't want to say 100% certainty that it's, it's inconclusive right now. I'm going to say it's, it's still open, but I do agree that there's not enough time from the, the note, uh, being released, uh, the facts, as it were, and the point where Jeff Force Gemini was shipping that there, there would be remnants. You know what I mean? Like it's too late at that point. My thinking is, yes, Jet Force Gemini was self-published by Rare. It, it was one of their their own games, and Nintendo probably wouldn't have been as hypercritical of it as they were Donkey Kong 64, but Nintendo still had a stake in Rare. Uh, they, they still didn't want people hot-swapping cartridges. If there was anything in Jet Force Gemini whatsoever that would have flagged this situation, uh, they would have already been through this before this fax was sent. So, that being said, has anybody actually tested it out? Has anybody hot-swapped Jet Force with Banjo? Um, like, could it be that it just, it it actually does work and and nobody has thought to try it? (laughs) I I don't know, like... Problem with it, too, is you'd have to go very scrutinizing and, like, having the stop-and-swap items in Banjo-Kazooie by virtue alone is all that Jet Force Gemini should need to see. So if somebody did a, a one-by-one parallel play, like you hook up two different TVs, you put in two copies of Jet Force, one that was swapped with Banjo and one that's just playing, and you tried to kind of see if there was any differences, that would be the way that you could do it there. But like you said, at, at this point, I think it, it's too obvious where it's like it, there should be you know, text left over or something like that, something that we can actually see where it's intended to. But if you look deep in the memory and see if anything was changed by the swapping, that would be our first clue to go off. But like you yeah. said, I think it's it's too far gone where, where Jet Force isn't, uh, isn't uh, possible. So what game do you think then would have taken it? Well, yeah, as, as, as Paul himself cops to, you know, it's been 20 years, or more than 20 years, so his memory isn't what it, you know was concerning the situation it's still a really really comprehensive look at stop and swap but even he like admits that you know he he can't remember all the finer details maybe jet force was being bandied about as utilizing it and then they decided no let's let's kick the can down the road a bit and have dunk on 64 be the big game that like keeps keeps it going uh, the second game in the chain my thinking was the the only other game that makes sense then would be Dinosaur Planet. Yeah, true enough. It's um, I think it shares some of the team members too. Yeah, Dinosaur Planet was in development at this time. Uh, you know, it started life as a Timber the Tiger game uh, that gradually evolved until it was a Star Fox sequel. But uh, you know, it it's still that kind of evolution. Uh, from Timber the Tiger, uh, you know, to Fox McCloud, uh, it, you you can still see the DNA of it being a Diddy Kong Racing follow-up, right down to Tricky being in the game. But um, yeah, my, my thinking is, yeah, Dinosaur Planet would make the most sense if Jet Force is to be excluded. And honestly, then it would be it would be Banjo, both Banjo games, Donkey Kong sixty four, Conquer. Dinosaur Planet that makes Perfect Dark the weird one, the the odd one out because five out of those six games are DKU today. I mean, like 
granted, 12 Tales Conqueror 64 became Conqueror's Bad Fur Day. Dinosaur Planet became Star Fox Adventures, but they are still DKU. Uh, Perfect Dark is the only one we don't consider DKU. Uh, although this situation might have changed that had it been incorporated into a working stop and swap i don't know but yeah dinosaur planet makes the most sense to me as someone who lives and breathes this stuff and is looking at the release date of jet force and the fact that no stop and swap features have ever been uncovered in jet force gemini uh and especially in the few months since paul revealed all this you would think people would be going back into jet force and really like digging into it so, yeah, I, I'm going to say Dinosaur Planet is my best educated guess. But it's still just a guess because I wasn't there. You weren't there. Uh, Paul's memory isn't what it used to be. So, you know, it it it, it could be Jet Force and, and it could just be a weird bit of circumstance where they were able. Like, there's no way they could have uh, removed anything. Like I said, it would have been ready to go at that point. So I I don't know. I, I don't know. Um I'm trying to think if there were any other like N64 era rare games that like got punted, uh, but I, I can't think of any. Like that would have been the the complete lineup. Yeah. Um, unless it was like Mickey's Speedway or something. Yeah. The problem with that, uh, I don't think that would have been included just because it's a Disney kind of exclusive thing. So it would have been kind of a periphery team dealing with that one, and I don't think it would have been kind of brought into the fold. You know, just well, yeah. It, it's 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 not even really considered part of like the the rare n64 family like back in the day and people are gonna give me shit for this <laughs> as all the all the disney fanatics um like listening to this are, are gonna give me shit but even back in the late 90s you, those of us who were big rare fans clearly saw how little they were like rare themselves were talking up the Mickey games that they were developing. Well, was that from a legal side of things though? Because I remember there was an issue there where they couldn't really set up a a section of the website. It had to be through Disney. So I think there was a whole lot more oversight um, from Disney looking at that game, probably to the point where it's like similar in game development today. If you go to work for Disney, you know, you got 17 lawyers and three producers that have to check in all the time, you know? Sure. Sure. Yeah, but like Rare talked about it and acknowledged they did it, but it still didn't feel like it was part of the family. If that makes any sense, it it was very much this remote thing that there's like, oh, you're just you're you're also doing that, okay? So to the point where I even forget <laughs> about those games yeah. when I'm looking back at like their output during this time, I'm like, oh yeah, they also did that, but that doesn't really count, does it? I don't know. Um, yeah, uh, do you, I mean, do you have anything you would like to add? Any any theories or thoughts about the six or just that the the N sixty four library trying to plan something out this far in advance? Just going, we know that we have six or more games in development over the years that we're we're going to continue developing for. For that idea to to function, your games have to be executed from start to finish in a really specific way and it's funny looking back on it because you go okay of your intended games that you tried to to make it for let's say the dinosaur for the sake of argument is in it um that game never came out that was pushed over to the gamecube so you can't use that 12 tales conquer 64 did such a 180 that it's not even recognizable (laughs) as the same game and if it was you would have to bring that into the fold as one of the stop and swap titles and then you have the same idea behind perfect dark being like hey there's m-rated titles in your stop and swap you know like this this kind of goes against the um the ratings appeal of it but yeah like 
just seeing what they were trying to accomplish back in the, the late 90s, uh, if Donkey Kong 64 had been functional, where we would have been today, it's fascinating to look back at that stuff. And it's what makes Stop and Swap so appealing, too, is that you can see this idea kind of forming where they're like, we have the, this idea that six games, six eggs, and the ice key, they're going to be passed. It's, it's really crazy to look at. Yeah, and, and it does make you wonder that even if Nintendo somehow let Donkey Kong 64 happen, yeah. And what have you. You're right. Dinosaur Planet would have still been delayed uh, until the, it hit the GameCube. And so that would have been removed from the six. Conquer probably would have been removed just because Nintendo would have freaked out about it. Uh, and at that point, like, you have to drastically change your stop and swap plans on the fly. Yeah. You, you don't get to utilize the full vision anyway. Uh, so what does a truncated stop and swap look like? Would it have like, would they have been able to carry out the full vision or like, would there have been any irregularities that sprung up as a result? I don't know. Um, but it, it, it is like fast. Like we, we can lament all, all we want about how they didn't let this happen, but it couldn't have happened the way they planned it anyway, just due to the realities of game development and, and what happened with dinosaur planet and conquer. So if if the one egg formula was the way that they, you know, if they were unmoving on that, then yeah, it wouldn't have been able to be completed. But I feel like it, they would have had a Hail Mary at the end of it. They just went, ah, uh, yeah, and Perfect Dark has four for some reason, you know, just to give that kind of notion that, okay, no, all the eggs are utilized. You know, they would have been able to fix it at some point looking at the remaining release schedule being like, we don't have a whole lot of games coming out for the N64 anymore, you know? Yeah, quick, quick. We need a tip-top game. We, we need it in three weeks. Let's get it out. Get it out the door. Yeah. All right. Well, we've got some calls. We got two calls to take uh, from people who wanted to talk to us about Stop and Swap. So why don't we go ahead and uh, listen to what they have to say? Here's the first call. And then we'll, we'll talk about the first call. And then we'll play the second call. And then we'll talk about that. Sounds good. Hello, DK Vine. It is John Tessier, a.k.a. the JTES Express, calling into the conversation again. This time we're talking about Stop and Swap, probably my favorite topic in all of the DKU. So uh, back in the Dizay, uh, as, a young, as, as a young lad, uh, you know, I, I played Banjo-Kazooie religiously, uh, you know, was really into the Stop and Swap thing, thought it was really cool. Uh, it, but like, it was even cooler that there was like the whole mystery behind it, that it wasn't solved, and I, I just, I couldn't figure out what it was all about. So, uh, you know, 13 year old me or whatever it was, you know, created a theory, and I, I called it Stop and Swap My Two Cents. Um, it was like a whole theory. I remember I spent the whole day working on it at school, like, wasn't paying attention to class, was writing out this Stop and Swap theory. Uh, and then I posted it online only to get completely roasted, and everyone's like, no, we know what stop and swap is. It's been figured out for, like, the longest time. You're an idiot. Uh, this theory makes no sense, and you're just completely dumb. So, I, you know, I was upset about that, but uh, it was true. I had this completely stupid stop and swap theory that made no sense, even though we, we had pretty much figured out uh, what stop and swap was going to be at that point in time. But I looked back at my theory recently, and there were some interesting points. Uh, I won't get into the whole thing right now, but basically one of the parts was that Captain Blubber was a part of it, was somehow a part of Stop and Swap, because he's in Jolly Rogers Bay, where uh, where Captain Black Eyes is, and he's right next to the shop. He seems to want to get away in a hurry. 
Uh, and I thought, you know, there was a reason for that. I thought maybe he was stealing the stop swap items and Black, Captain Black Eyes was after him, and that's why he wanted to get away in a hurry. And uh, there was also the fact you see him on that island at the end of Banjo-Kazooie where we first learned about stop and swap. So basically my question to you guys is, even though it was a dumb theory of 13-year-old me, do you guys think Captain Glover had anything to do with stop and swap at any point in time? Love to hear you guys' thoughts. Can't wait for the conversation. Sounds good. Bye. Well, thanks for the call, John. J. Tess Express. Uh, well, so I'm, I'm used to talking about Captain Black Eye in, in the context of Stop and Swap, uh, NC of Thieves, and just general life. Um, so... So th- this is this is a refreshing change of pace. We're talking about Captain Blubber. We're talking about a different pirate <laughs> for once. Uh, you know, I, I'll I'll say this much, and then you can add your your. Uh, I was gonna say two cents, but sunken doubloon. You can add you can add your sunken doubloon, Steve. Uh, no stop and swap theory is bad, and shame on the people who are shaming you for that. For me, the joy of stop and swap at this point is the unlimited potentials and what ifs stop and swap is the journey, not the destination. You know, it is looking at the totality of not just Banjo-Kazooie, but basically, you know, any of the latter era N64 output of rare and just thinking, what if, what if that shrub over there had a higher purpose what what if there's something to this texture on this wall over here that signifies some grand plan? So, so, so to me, like, I don't think any theory is stupid. Now, there are some theories that are more sound than others, absolutely. But I feel like, no, take pride in it. Take joy in it. Like, th- this, is, this is a mystery that no matter how much we get solved over the years, no, mar- no matter how much we get explained... There will always be stuff left to uncover and to speculate about. That is the enduring appeal of Stop and Swap. That is why we're doing a second Stop and Swap episode in four months' time. I mean, it it, it is an endlessly fascinating topic, and I, I feel like it is... It is something that we can just continue to speculate about and to continue to drum up new theories about. Do I think Captain Blubber would have ever served a purpose in Stop and Swap? Probably not. No, pro- probably not Captain Blubber. Captain Black Eye, yes. Yes. But uh, not Blubber. But I, I'll, I'll cede the floor to Steve now and see what he has to say. Yeah. So Jolly Rogers Lagoon, just as a location for stop and swap hunting, is it's the grassy knoll of of conspiracy theory because even looking at the landscape, you go, okay, you have Captain Blubber and his wave race higher. So, you know, he's in proximity of Black Eye. And like you said before, um, the caller, you you have, you know, him appearing in the final scene of Banjo Kazooie as well. Um, kind of racing around there with a wave racer. So it's not hard to, you know, connect those lines there. But then you also have wave race 64 would have been the sixth game. There you go. But you also have Pono, uh, as a character 
just next door, a character who solely delivers Banjo-Kazooie-related merchandise in his store that he can sell you, that he claims are from the original game. So if any character in that whole place had anything to do with Stop and Swap, I'd argue Pano is probably the closest approximation there. But ignoring that, you can look at anything in Banjo-Kazooie, anything in Banjo-Tooie, and find some kind of tangential link. Because at the end, we are just dealing with scraps and theories and stuff. And like Kyle said, there are more theories that are more sound than others. Um, you know, stuff like the uh, Black Eyes map in Rusty Bucket Bay where you have the X mark, you know, the treasure chest in Mad Monster Mansion, um, the literal uh, pink egg paintings that surround the guy in the back of the room. Like, there's no more conclusive proof than that, that there is some kind of plan for Black Eye to be involved in Stop and Swap. So, like, like, like Kyle said, don't be ashamed in any of your theories. Everybody makes them, and we all run across people that, and I guess I'm part of it now, that are know-it-alls. They go, oh, no, 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 Stop and Swap wasn't meant for that. Oh, it, it does this too. But yeah, like, the theories are the fun bit where you can kind of really let loose with your imagination and go, okay, imagine if, like, Donkey Kong 64 was doing this, and then Banjo did that, and then Perfect Dark did this. You know, it's a whole kind of universe that they're creating with Stop and Swap potential there. Yeah. Yeah, you know, you said Jolly Rogers Lagoon is like the grassy knoll. Like the the other hot su- spots, I almost said hot swaps. The the other hot spots are obviously Treasure Trove Cove, Freezy Z Peak, Gobi's Valley. Um, and that's not even getting into you know where the other question mark eggs are located, like Mad Monster Mansion or Click Clock Wood, Rusty Bucket Bay. But um, you know, I just remember spending you know hours hours and hours and hours in every location uh with, with my friend elliot you know playing summer 98 you know just examining everything t- trying to turn over every stone uh I, re- I remember like the advent calendar mural on the, at the entrance of freeze z peak thinking that was some sort of p- grand plan um trying trying to beat bomb things and different combination you know it, it's part of the fun of this this is why this is such an enduring mystery this is why i would argue stop and swap has endured where other contemporary uh conspiracies and rumors like the triforce in ocarina of time have not because there is st- there, there is actually fire where there's smoke here this isn't just playground rumors there was intent behind it and so th- this is something that I think boosters it and makes it like tantalizing to us, even as we are adults in our thirties. We're still we're still here talking about stop and swap, and we're getting giddy like schoolchildren. Uh, that that that's why I love this topic because it it not only like rekindles the childlike wonder of what if, like th- this is basically the um the video game equivalent of super tramps logical song uh where it's decrying you know becoming an adult and having the wonder in your life stripped from you and you're just supposed to conform and consume and basically you know be a model citizen stop and swap flies in the face of that and it makes us it makes the world magical again steve and so yes john continue to speculate come up with theories about captain blubber i say the sky's the limit and maybe one day we will discover something that none of us ever knew and it turns out captain blubber is the key behind it and then you can go back to those people and make them eat it make them eat it john i'm just picturing the scene where the president makes his big speech in independence day 
<laughs> Except, well, he, he couldn't go on a stop and swap tangent because that movie came out in, what, 96? Like, it, Killer Instinct Gold wasn't part of stop and swap. Oh, and that's another thing, too, I have to confront because there's a lot of people online that are, are saying, oh, Diddy Kong Racing, that was part of stop and swap. And, you know, Killer, like, not Killer Instinct Gold, Goldeneye, though, specifically, he keeps on being bandied about, too. And, like, Banjo-Kazooie is the start of it, you know, at the, the absolute start. Yeah. And you can't reverse engineer and inject code in older games. It doesn't work that way. There's nothing to unlock. So it's one of the misconceptions that people have. And of course, it's, you know, part of the theory and everything. But that's one that I have to look at and go, look, there's six games that were planned. Banjo-Kazooie is the first one. We know about TUI. We know about TK64. And then it's that point after that we can speculate the remaining N64 games. Because there are people that are going, oh, right. Blast Core must have something in it. And you go, hey, it can't. You know, like it's too late for that. It game. can't. You're right. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's why it really just pairs it down to either Jet Force or Dinosaur Planet. And I think there's a good case against Jet Force personally. So, all right. Let's take this other call. And then we'll, uh, we'll talk about it. And then we'll give, I was going to say our final thoughts about stop and swap, but let's be honest. <laughs> it, won't, it won't be. Yeah. It won't be. All right. Hi, right, calling the station. And it's, uh, DJ Cat calling in here from Crikey Dingo, Australia. Uh, so we're talking about stop and swap today. Um, just want you guys to, you've probably already given your opinions through the, the conversation so far, but um, the six games in question, uh, I'd like to call them the Swapful Six, although it could be seven if you count, you know, depending on which game you count as part of the six. Um, yeah, just wondering if you think there's any traces still of Stop and Swap still present in these games. Um... I refer to the forum post by Loreco about the potential creepy calf leg. Uh, I checked that out on my recent playthrough of Donkey Kong 64, and yeah, it seemed like it easily could have been a possible egg location. Um, like, my opinion is, if Conker's date is 12 tails, it probably would have been in that, but as soon as it got redone to Bad Fur Day, they canned it out of that. Uh, the one that intrigues me the most is Jet Force Gemini, uh, which I think could be a DKU game because of Mr. Pants' appearance, not as uh, Ant's Pants, but as um, the, the Mr. Pants mural in Torfrit. But anyway, that's a different subject. Um, yeah, Jet Force Gemini, the fact that this was announced or this fax was sent to Rare so soon before Jet Force was going to be released, um, like, is it possible that there's still traces in the game? I'm certainly going to have a very thorough look next time I play through that game for any, you know, convoluted, slight possible chance of a possible stop and swap egg. And one last thing, do you think they could have actually pulled off the stop and swap using the controller pack instead of hot swapping the cart? Uh, I think that's it. I think my three minutes is about to be up, so I better go. I'll call you back if I think of something else. Sawyer? Uh, thank you for the call, DJ Cat. And uh, just on the record, DJ Cat did call us back. 
about something else. Unfortunately, it was after we had already started the episode. So, uh, we'll, we'll just have to table that for now. If, if I, if I think of it, I will archive your call, save it for a future call sack episode. But, uh, brought, brought up some good points here. Uh, so for, for starters, you brought up the forum post by Loreco. Uh, about the, uh, the, something in Creepy Castle. Good news for you, Loraco <laughs> is Steve McCorkle, uh, our co-host on this episode. So, Steve, wh- what is, what is he referring to here? So, this is my own little rabbit hole conspiracy theory that I posted on your site. Because again, Stop and Swap has that, <laughs> you know, it has that, uh, allure of, of grabbing little scraps of information here and there. And of course, Donkey Kong 64 is probably the closest that we can grab for almost made it material. Banjo-Tooie had a little yeah. bit more development time where they could plan it through and everything, and I can see where there's teases and stuff. Uh, Banjo-Kazooie, the oblique references are there for Captain Black Eye. I get that. But Donkey Kong 64, you can see the vision of something wider planned that they had to go, ah, take that out. And as they were taking things out, they had to make some changes here and there. And it's those changes that you can still kind of see in the game that you pass over at first glance. And people have covered it over the years going, hey, this is kind of a curiosity. And then you look at it in new light, knowing what Stop and Swap is, and you go, that could totally have something to do with Stop and Swap. Like, you know, just looking at it with a new set of eyes. And the thing that he's talking about specifically is um, the creepy castle pillar in, um, in Donkey Kong 64. So... For those that don't know, um, you can basically explore this uh, haunted level. It's very similar to Mad Monster Mansion set in a haunted castle. And you take the five Kongs around. You you can explore the exterior. You can explore the interior. Uh, certain Kongs can go certain places. Others can't go. And one of the places that Tiny Kong, the monkey with the pigtails, can go is in a museum area. And as I like how you have to explain who Tiny Kong is to the conversation audience. Well, that is true. But anybody that's listening as well that, that is in it for Stop and Swap, they might not know. <laughs> you know what I mean? The, the bongo conversation at the start of it, they could be going, what? A microphone, a game? What the hell? You know, so I'm just trying to provide okay. as much context as possible. So if you if they've let, never let, played let me the explain game. To you. So there's this gorilla. He wears a necktie, right? Okay. Sorry. So anyway. If you take Tiny Kong into the museum level, um, you come to a hallway where there's two uh, clear windows that you can see through. And one leads to a sort of uh, factory area where you can take a teleport to another level. And the other side just has a pillar. And both areas can be explored. Um, if you use something called a monkey port, it's a teleportation ability that you find elsewhere in the game, and you can gain access to these two areas that are walled off. And the first one will take you to a golden banana, which is par for the course, because you go, okay, I've used my teleportation ability, it's taken me to this area, I can complete a task, I've done my thing I'm supposed to do, I'm rewarded for it, I can continue playing, boom, 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 it works. The other area takes you to this pillar, and it's this own little sectioned off room with one big pillar in the middle of the room. Room. And when you go there, and you, you can get there from, from the previous area, so you teleport from one to two, one being the offset um, sort of teleport on the outside of the level, two being the one that you can complete the task in, three takes you to another area, which is four, the mystery pillar. So it's all connected there. It kind of takes you through a narrative path. But the problem is, when you get to the pillar, all there is there is one of Tiny Kong's balloons that you can shoot down from the ceiling, which gives you 10 bananas. Yeah. And those are found scattered throughout the game. You know what I mean? You can just be walking down a corridor and those will be flying around. So it, it seems very bizarre 
to just have this pillar with this balloon uh, going around it to have its own sectioned off area. It just seems very, very peculiar. And I mean, websites sure. from time immemorial have been talking about this pillar forever going, what is the deal with this oh, thing? Yeah. It's curious, you know? So we, we had an early, we had an early joke on DK Vine. Um, so in, in the Donkey Kong 64 instruction manual, Cranky is his usual snarky self where he's shit talking the game and he mentions uh, like a collectible called the Scroll of Gameplay and says you'll never find it. The joke being that Donkey Kong 64 has terrible gameplay uh, and, and that, you know, you, you'll never find a scroll of gameplay because it doesn't exist. But it flew over the head of a lot of people. So one of the earliest questions DK Vine continually got fielded with uh, because we were a website <laughs> about Donkey Kong, and therefore we were the experts, and people would say, hey, I can't find a scroll of gameplay in Donkey Kong 64, help me out. And, and so we, uh, there, there was a edited image that uh, Chad made of uh, this pillar uh, with a, a scroll on it um, that was the scroll of gameplay, and um, it got a little bit of traction back, you know, but... Um, it that that's always what I think of when I think of the pillar is the uh, purported location of the scroll of gameplay. But you're saying it could could have housed the question mark egg. Oh, and also just on a tangent too, another thing that went over a lot of people's heads was the great girder grapple that Cranky Kong was talking about because he alluded to this secret level that no one would ever find in the game. And of course, if you look at a girder, it's it's obviously talking about Donkey Kong Arcade. But that's another one that a lot yes. of speculation went over. People are going, "How do I unlock the great girder grapple? Like, what is that level after Creepy Castle?" You know, like a lot of people were speculating on that. But um, going back to the the pillar for a second, yeah. Um, if you look at the uh, Nintendo Power um, walkthrough for Donkey Kong 64, the guide that they published back in the day, they have a map kind of overview for each area that you can go in. And the museum is actually one of the maps that they feature. And if you look on the page, you'll actually see that there's a shadow in the center of the pillar. And what you can do that with Photoshop is basically if you have an object on top of an object, you can create a layer that has a shadow underneath that object to make it more 3D, to make it pop a bit. But if you get rid of that object itself and leave the shadow, that's exactly what it looks like in the guide. So considering that Donkey Kong 64, the, the walkthrough is probably being made while the game was in development, it's a very real possibility that the stop and swap egg, which it's oval shaped the shadow, so it kind of alludes to that, would have been the object in Donkey Kong 64 that would have had the pillar. And if that was the case, they wouldn't have had that monkey port there. It would have been opened by swapping over to Banjo. So given the idea that Creepy Castle is a haunted level and the Cyan Egg and Mad Monster Mansion is also a haunted level, there seems to be some link there. So it could be possible that by stopping and swapping from Banjo-Kazooie to Donkey Kong 64, you'd be able to venture into Creepy Castle and now go to this area that no longer has glass in the museum. So it's just, again, something to think about for the crazy whack job conspiracy theories that everybody bandies about. That one's mine, you know? So there might not be any water to it at all, but it just seems to add up. I was going to say, you've, you're giving off some major Pepe Sylvia <laughs> energy right now, but I agree with you all the same because I'm def I'm like, I'm sitting here nodding my head like, yeah, sounds reasonable. Sounds reasonable. Yeah, I definitely see that. Yeah, yeah. If you connect the dots, absolutely. Why wouldn't it be that? And it's funny because 
because that pillar we scoffed at it so much when DK Vine was in its infancy because you know we we kept getting questions about it and and that and the scroll of gameplay and the great girder gap grapple i just like wrote it off as just it's just part of the scenery but you're absolutely right it's not there there had to have been a point to it and if stop and swap could be that point i i can't really think of a better use for it than housing one of those glorious question mark eggs so i'm sitting here like yeah that's that's a great theory steve in fact i you know it's it's funny because i would have never thought about that back in 1999 right but now sitting here in 2021 i'm like yeah sure yeah, so that's just just one more bit to the the ever evolving and expanding stop and swap conspiracy lore. So, uh, bravo, bravo to you. Uh, I DJ Cat brought up another really good point that I see brought up all the time to the point where I'm wondering the same thing: Why didn't they just utilize the controller pack for this from the get go? Do you want to tackle that, or should should I have a, a go? <laughs> I don't have any answers because uh, it's just like, well, that makes a lot of sense. Why didn't they just do that? Is, is it just because they became too enamored with the idea of hot swapping that they didn't bother utilizing it and then it was too late? Or, or I, I don't know. So it could have been a combination of that. I think at that point, though, they were just looking at the idea of you own one cartridge, you own another cartridge. Those two can communicate. That's all you need. You just need to play our games. And bringing a pack into it all of a sudden requires a mandatory purchase that not a whole lot of people might have. You know, like even packaging Donkey Kong 64 with the expansion pack was an effort done knowing that, hey, not everybody's going to have an expansion pack with the N64. Why don't we package this in with it? And that way, when you buy our game, you automatically have this device that's mandatory for playing. And it's, it's, you know, included in the packaging of the game. So nobody misses out. So the second that you go, oh, you require a transfer pack or you require some kind of, uh, you know, other device that, that for memory transfer, you cut out a significant portion portion of your audience you know sure sure uh although you know games that that did feature it it was always advertised on the box as you know controller pack yeah right like uh mario kart 64 that's the only way you could have saved your ghost data in time trials which is really frustrating and also every time you got hit in the head with one of the coconuts or pieces of fruit in in dk's jungle parkway then you would have that message up on the screen the entire duration of the time travel <laughs> cannot save, cannot save. Yeah. yeah and i'm like just like fuck off like how do you not account for the all those coconuts they're everywhere but anyway you know like i get that and ultimately like this is why maybe they should have gone to nintendo from the start and then they could have like planned for this and like this is a really great idea let's just use the the, the controller pack because then we can skirt all of these issues because yeah you just brought up the expansion pack and i'm just here sitting here thinking wow on top of all of this on top of all of this drama they also had to deal with the game crashing bug in dunk on 64 that required the expansion pack packaged in every game probably costing them a significant amount of money chipping away out of their big holiday release was it dismissed as a myth i thought that was confirmed i thought it was somebody ended up looking through the memory of donkey kong 64 they went very in-depth with it where they were looking at the release date schedule and everything and they went okay to this point of the expansion pack being required would have been like a late minute addition to stop this bug and they're like we have evidence that it was from the very start that it was being used because it checks memory addresses and stuff like that. So somebody actually did mm. a really in-depth um, sort of deep dive on YouTube where they do 
break the whole thing down. They're like, it, it can't be possible because it relies too much on the expansion pack for even, you know, uh, basic things in the game that wouldn't be possible without it. So, well, I'll say this. I'll, I'll say this much. If that's true, I, I hope it is because um, that that would boost my esteem of Donkey Kong 64 just a little bit because I, I've lived with this assumption, this, this um, common held wisdom that there is this game breaking bug and that the only reason the expansion pack was used was because it, it was the only thing that like smoothed it over and um, and it didn't actually require the expansion pack. Now, granted, Donkey 64 is a visually impressive game in a lot of ways. Um, so, like, when it came out, I totally bought that it needed the expansion pack, you know, for all those swinging hallway lights. But, uh, <laughs> you know, then, then you hear this this common bandied about wisdom that, no, actually, that's just a farce. And you're like, oh, and then and then you just you're you grow more and more suddenly negative towards the game. Uh, I would love a reason to think more highly of Donkey Kong 64, at least from a from a technical standpoint. So I hope that's true. Um, anyway, yeah. Uh, then then DJ Cat also talked about the, the the identity of the six games, and you know we we've already kind of. <laughs> treaded over that territory but then made this comment that jet force gemini should be dku because the mr pants graffiti and i'm like that's not a physical appearance that's not a physical appearance if mr pants's first physical appearance as an actual character in a video game was banjo Tooie, so uh, you you can't like retroactively apply jet force gemini to that because it wasn't a physical appearance and even if it was a physical appearance mr pants was not a native born dku character until banjo Tooie, which would mean mr pants was not dku and that means not only would jet force gemini not be dku but it's mr pants would not be DKU, which would just be the most heartbreaking thing I've ever heard. So, uh, yeah. I, I do really wish Jet Force was DKU. I, I have to say that much. You know, we've been talking about, like, ooh, wouldn't it be weird if Perfect Dark was somehow DKU from all of this? Uh, Jet Force... I think it's a big missed opportunity. And I know like Rare didn't really sit around planning like this <laughs> shared universe like we, we like to imagine. Um... It's 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 kind of a happy accident that it happened at all, and, um, and of course now in the the glow of the MCU and stuff, they they probably would have, but it's it's a shame they didn't think of, think all this through because Jet Force I think would have worked in the DKU, um, especially and as I always bring this up. When talking about stop and swap conspiracy theories, when Gobi says he's going to go off to the lava world, that should have been Jet Force Gemini. Uh, and you should have met Gobi in Jet Force Gemini. Oh, Gobi went into outer space to get away from Banjo and Kazooie. That would have been impressive. And and then, you know, you might have even utilized stop and swap in there uh, via Gobi. Now, I don't now know, this Rare. is starting to sound Pepe Silvia Heil. <laughs> I don't know Rare from from over 20 years ago. I've got some good ideas. Maybe you should listen to me. <laughs> well, that's the other thing, too. I think at some point, 
they would have had to plan out stop and swap in a way from a design document. So there is potentially a lost design document out there that does show, hey, this is what we plan to do with Banjo. This is what we plan to do with Donkey Kong 64. So I'm hoping maybe Paul posts that next. You know, we could have something else to kind of chew on. <laughs> yeah, give it two days. You know, <laughs> who knows? <laughs> the mandatory 48 hours? No, here's a piece of gaming history that we're going to obsess over for the next, you know, millennia. <laughs> Uh, I assume we'll, we'll be talking about Stop and Swap again on the conversation at some point. But as far as we're aware, as as all pertinent information goes, uh, circa May 2021, uh, this is it. We're, we're, at, we're at the end of the road here. So uh, final thoughts, not just on the revelations that Paul brought to light, but also just Stop and Swap in general, Steve. I, I want to hear your take, because I do consider you to be the expert on Stop and Swap and Rare Cows. <laughs> but I, I think that, like, as far as anyone out there, you have the best understanding, not just from a technical standpoint, but also you get the magic of it. Like, you're not just looking at it in binary code here. You're looking at it as, like, the, the excitement that it generates and the imagination that it spurs. So I really want to hear what, like what else you have to say as your, your final statement on stop and swap until Paul wrecks it all (laughs) in a couple days. Yeah. Well, it's that thing again. It's, it's such an enduring mystery that literally has taken us 20 years to even receive new information that we're still talking about today. And, you know, it, it has extended the life of all of Rare's N64 games, but just that vision of having an ability to exchange these items throughout their entire N64 lineage is so alluring. And you always, you can find little tangential links and wishful thinking and all that kind of stuff. But the idea that that was a plan at one point in Rare's history where they were trying to do something really next level. And yeah, unfortunately, it was quashed just on technical limitations alone, but it does kind of emphasize that Rare is this kind of big thinking you know, we'll have an idea here in 1998 that's not going to come commonplace until the late 2000s. You know, it, it's it's something that you have to credit the company, all the people that work for it. And two, we have to thank Paul. We have to thank anybody that worked on Stop and Swap, anybody that came forward with information. Like, for us, this is a joy to play, a joy to relive, and just a joy to babble on like incoherent assholes, <laughs> you know, chaining on conspiracy theories and tinfoil hats. Like, we just love it. Yeah, I would also like to give a special thanks to the Director of Technical Support for Nintendo of America, circa October 1999, because uh, th- this is this is probably the best laugh I've had <laughs> <laughs> since the pandemic started. Th- this this was really uh, uproarious. Uh, as like th- th- this is not only like a, a masterclass at like corporate doublespeak, but it- it's just. As, as an artifact and as somewhat as, as like something like that distills the way you always sort of knew Nintendo must have felt about this. Uh, bravo. Mwah. I couldn't have hoped for a better document. Yeah. It's a great drinking game, too, if you take a shot every time he says schedule. So there is that. Uh, well, and I also want to thank everyone in the live stream chat. Oh, my God. So Ray Day Pinball is screaming Jolly Rogers Lagoon. It's Lagoon. Were we saying Bay or or did the call say Bay? The caller said Bay, to be fair. But I mean, it is it, oh. Mario 64, Banjo. They both they both use a term of Jolly Rogers. So it's it's an easy enough mistake to make. But it is, in fact, Lagoon. And you've lost your DK Vine license for forever suggesting that caller. I'm sorry. 
Now, hold on, Steve. Has anyone ever bothered to look in Jolly Rogers Bay in Super Mario 64 and then pull out the cartridge? This has been a File 2 production. Terrico.